Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three mistakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at frito Welcome, everybody, to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. It helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you find fine podcast content. You can find Kyle and myself. You can connect with us on social media at... Longhorn Pod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at the Longhorn Republic, or you can shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald Goodridge. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man who's practicing his three syllable chants, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? L O L L O. No, different three syllables? I don't know. We'll have to practice. I need, I'm, I'm, I have a long way to go, Gerald, clearly. Obviously, um, I'm going back through the record books, seeing which. Football, baseball, tennis, golf, Olympic medal championships. I can now claim that other SEC members have won um, so that I can claim them for our uh, pantheon of greatness. Um, yeah, it's, it's been an event- eventful uh, week. Twitter, uh, breaking news, uh, Reddit, uh, wherever you get your news, they have been they have been smoking. They are coming out so hot and so fast and furious over the past, let's call it eight to ten days. Been a wild ride, but here we are. Hundred years. Hundred <laughs> years. Hundred that's that's what I'm going with. That is my that's the hat in the ring I'm tossing. It's niche, but it's delightful if you understand it if you have a, a nuanced sense of opinion and understand that we have absolutely ruined AM's 100 year decision in 10 years um i mean we, we could spend some time gerald luxuriating on just i don't think in our wildest dreams or expectations we could have expected the aggies to have performed worse in this entire process to put on full display what we have known and tried to warn people about for the past 10 years and tried to the SEC has learned it, but there are other people around the country in, in other, let's call it 35-ish states that had no idea about Aggies that have just so clearly learned what yellow-bellied scoundrels they are, what, what you know, um, chihuahua giant barking but cowering <laughs> at their own shadow and, and urinating on themselves little uh, animals they are. Um, we tried to tell y'all they are... Who, who we thought they are, and I guess we left them off the hook to continue the the quote. I don't know. We we we, we let them go, and, and 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 you know, if if like like a butterfly, if, if if you love it and set it free, it'll come back to you. I don't know. I'm mixing metaphors here, but uh, it's been glorious. Niche but delightful is kind of our thing, Kyle. If I've had a way to to uh, sum up our brand, niche but delightful feels feels on brand for us and so um, we'll keep that going as we uh, migrate to a new conference this is normally the part where i'd say we're not here to talk about whatever we've been riffing on for the last probably too long but we are here to talk about the move to the sec so texas and oklahoma today officially notified the big 12 of their intention to leave so we'll talk a little bit more about that we'll hit our wide receiver preview and probably throw in some tight ends as well we'll down the 40 we'll bang the drum and then we'll get out of your hair for the day so as i just mentioned the train has left the station. Texas and OU released basically the same statement. They just flip flopped the order of the schools saying that they 
will not be renewing the television rights agreement in 2025. And so providing notice to the Big 12 at this point is important in the advance of the expiration of the conference's current media rights agreement. The universities intend to honor their existing grants of rights agreements. However, both universities will continue to monitor the rapidly evolving collegiate athletic landscape as they consider how to best position their athletic programs for the future. So that's a little excerpt from the official statement. And that last sentence is doing a lot of lifting, as it seems. A plan to honor the grant of rights until 2025, Gerald. There's a lot of verbiage right now that I imagine if you are on the record, they are saying one thing and are legally required to say such um, contracts and being binding and all that. Um, I, I imagine the candid conversation and even even what the official reports are coming out with the, the quotes and with the official statements say, but Texas doesn't. Hopes that it will not come to that. Hopes that it will not be that long. Hopes that it will happen quicker. Um, I think they are playing the game. I think this podcast could become outdated within a week if, if you know, the train continues to roll. I don't know how long they have to, to you know, song and dance and, 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 and kind of tiptoe around it. But, hey, they spent six months or longer, depending who's reporting you're your reading or listening to without, you know, any mention of this. I don't think they mind waiting a little bit longer saying what needs to, to be said. I, I truly applaud uh, Crystal Conti, the Board of Regents, uh, President Hartzell, the, the folks involved in this. It is a monumental undertaking. I heard uh, in ESPN and, and, and also CBS, um, a national college football person say this is probably the biggest you know story in college football in, in 10 years, and this might be bigger then the last realignment for what it might signal, right? As we move into a new era, playoff era, name and image likeness era, a, you know, maybe potentially glimpse of post NCAA era. This is huge, um, which is cool for Texas to be a part of huge, right? It, it, it's make no mistake, whatever your opinion is on it, whatever trickle down piece you're thinking about, whatever it is, this is monumental to the, entire sport that we love and we cover all sports on this podcast gerald and i are diehard college football fans we imagine uh from looking at the numbers that when we talk college football and our uh listeners are also uh diehard college football fans by and large uh uh, as you partake this podcast this has incredible incredible impacts on the future of the sport uh itself and and of course we have an inflated sense of ego and self-worth but of course when the future of college football is being determined the university of texas is right at the center of it there's this weird dichotomy of things happening if you want to like look at the two perspectives on texas there's this perspective that like why would the sec want texas texas isn't any good at football texas has the best athletic department in the country we have the trophy to prove it but then it's also texas is ruining college football you can't have it both ways You can't have it both ways. Either Texas sucks for one reason or Texas doesn't suck for the other. Texas sucks for all the reasons. And here's the thing. I am fully committed to embracing the Hulk Hogan Hollywood Hulk phase. I'm fully (laughs) committed to to making the heel turn. You know what? Hate us all you want. We've been floating the conference for 20 years now. Let's just be real about it. And so, like, it's fine that you feel like you're left in the lurch. And you, you know what? You can feel any kind of way you want about maybe Texas didn't go about it above board, right? But there's a reason why you don't let these kind of deals out there in the open because things like what happened last week where A&M tries to very publicly scuttle it and shoots themselves not in one foot but both feet in the process (laughs) will happen. And so, like, you can say or feel however you want. And again, paint Texas as the villain. That's fine. But if you're of the mind that this doesn't benefit the SEC, then you're not thinking like a, a thinking person. And this benefits Texas as well, right? We, our friend Mike Roach are going to have him on in a couple weeks to talk about this, but like Texas football recruiting is going to take a big leap. Evan Stewart has said without saying that when Texas joins the SEC, if it's within the next couple of years, he's going to pull the trigger, right? There are guys that have already announced Cam Dewberry, 
said it on Twitter out of the blue that he's visiting Texas in a, during the season. He had completely eliminated Texas from the running prior to this. And so the, the dividends are going to happen for Texas. And for the SEC, if you're mad about it, dry yourselves on the eight figures that Texas is going to put in your pocket through a new <laughs> TV deal, right? And so there's, there's a lot of things that are still left to be said. And it would take a supermajority of the Big 12 making a decision to go their separate ways in order for this thing to happen before 2025. But I don't anticipate that thing happening, right? There's no way that Texas wait. Texas and OU wait until 2025 for this thing to happen. The other schools are already trying to do things, already trying to figure out what's going to happen. They've already started referring to them, the Big 12 at least, Bob Bowlesby, who got caught with his pants down once again, um, <laughs> is referring to the, the, the Big 12 does, if the Big 12 does one thing right, and they may only do one thing right, um, is put out statements. And today's statement actually was kind of terrible, but the eight remaining schools, I mean, there have already been talks of I Iowa State and Kansas flirting with the Big Ten. There are already talks about where do the other schools land, and so I this doesn't ha this doesn't span four years. I'm just curious to see how long it goes on. I remember in Houston when Hurricane Harvey hit, and, and legal cases just got pushed back like a year. The courts were literally in the city of Houston flooded, and I mean that literally. There was water in the courthouses. It, it took a, a year on some things. Like, but can you imagine if somehow there was some just absolutely catastrophic or just, you know, wild earth changing event where you tried to get a divorce and you filed your paperwork and you made it public and you went with your statement and the court said, we're really behind. It's going to be about four years before we can make that official. And you got to live in the same house. What an awkward four years that would be like, it has come out. We've said, thanks for the memories we like you we don't like you that much anymore it's not you it's me we've changed we've grown we just you know we like different things we have lots of money and and you don't and come on we're not all about only money guys um but we're, we're just different you know we like different things we travel the world we've seen europe you know you've never left uh west virginia no okay come on i'm not love, gonna be mean don't here, take but, shots uh, west virginia guys i love the west virginia guys Honestly, truly, uh, at, like out of the remaining teams, they are. I think they have my the least of my ire. Kansas in football certainly um, <laughs> it probably makes that, and I don't hate the Kansas basketball team as much as I probably should. I think those two teams are the only two teams left that I don't like. Just have have a, a, a gut full of of, of venom for. Um, and, and again, look, I, I said all of that jokingly about how awkward it would be to play out in four years, but but just remember that it, it has been. 10 years, in some cases, 20 years, 30 years. They go back to the Southwest Conference. I'm going to talk a little bit of that later. But where Texas has been carrying, and, and, and Texas Tech, and TCU has come in, and, and Oklahoma State to a great degree, these teams have come in and just talked so much and spit venom at Texas and just a win against Texas was a tentpole, something they put on their website and they advertise and it is a big deal. It meant something and TCU flouts their record against Texas and it is such a big deal, but you, it can only be a big deal if Texas is a big deal. And so when you understand that you are, you are basically, you know, rebelling against your, your, your mom and dad in Texas and OU and, 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 all of a sudden when they say, okay, you're out on your own and you have no money and you have no, no wherewithal, it, it, it makes it quite a bit different in this. I, I think Texas Tech is one who the vitriol that they have had over Chris Beard and just how mean and nasty their fans in general have been. Uh, I have, I'll be candid here, not a lot of worry for where they end up. I, uh, you know, I, there's certain schools in this conference that I really, truly Hey, don't let the, the door hit you with the Lord split you. You know, whatever happens, happens. I hope they, they land simply for the sake of getting this thing over quicker. Let's not dwell in, in any longer than, than we have to. You know what I mean? And so um, Texas has been holding this thing up for years. And, and I'm going to talk about exactly some of those specifics uh, in, in, at the end of the show. But, um, you know, I think this will be a crazy last year if this is the last year and we can get the ball rolling. And and we're going to have a lot to talk about, think about, and just process and experience. Soak it all in, fans. Enjoy it. Whatever happens, this is a chapter that will be the way that they talk about eras of Texas football. This is the Big 12 era. 
and it's coming to an end. And there is some some sadness anytime anything comes to an end. But man, it's exciting what the new possibilities could be. It was a sad era in a lot of ways. We got a national championship out of it. We got a Colt McCoy out of it. We got some good stuff out of it. We got a Justin Tucker sending the Aggies running to the SEC, and they're still scared. That's why they're mad about this move out of it. But for Texas, there's still a lot left to be played. As of as of 5 o'clock Monday, there hasn't been an official confirmation of Texas and OU applying for membership. The SEC presidents do have a meeting scheduled for 5 p.m. Eastern time on Thursday. And so that... Uh, potentially would probably be a vote. They would need, again, uh, 11 of the 14 schools to sign on. It seems like uh, at least 13, if not even 14, because the Aggies will fall in line with that. So we'll know more into the weekend, early next week, and we'll obviously keep you updated as this situation plays itself out. There is actual football that we need to preview, Kyle. We've talked a lot about the business and the other stuff, but there's football going on, and so we are picking back up, thankfully, our season previews or our positional previews, and so dipping our toes at the wide receiver position. The wide receiver group is going to be interesting. Brendan Eagles is now in the NFL. Jake Smith uh, went to the University of Texas, Los Angeles. Uh, Tariq Black is gone as well. Those are number two, three, and four on the list. Schooler is at safety, which is actually really probably his natural position, and he's better at it, but that's neither here nor there. So Texas returns kind of one guy from their top five receivers from last year, Joshua Moore, who led the team in receptions, receiving yards, and touchdowns with 30, 472, and 9, respectively. So he holds down a receiving unit that's going to probably play a lot differently than it did in the last four seasons, especially uh, when the Beck-Herman offense was in play. So this is an, this is an offense that prioritizes speed at the receiver position. So there's a lot left to be said. We saw a lot of different players uh, sliding in and sliding in toward the end of last year and then again in the spring game. So, Kyle, as we look at the the just the, the landscape of wide receivers, man, what what is your what's your initial reaction when you look at this group and kind of what Sark likes to do at wide receiver? Yeah, so Josh Moore is the most, I guess, known entity out of this group, which is kind of interesting and wild to say. Um, I, I think... We don't know exactly what he can be at his peak. There was times he made incredible catches. There were times he disappeared for a little bit, and that could be play calling where they stopped throwing him the ball or it could be uh, on him. But, uh, you know, I, I am curious as he's um, – he is a known entity, but I think he can fit into this this offense um, as kind of a a bit of a do-it-all. He's, he's fast enough. He's, he, he's a good enough route runner. He, he, he has good enough hands. I think he, he can, he can fill multiple spaces, but the guy who I think is most tailor-made, and I, I guess we'll start kind of with this section of yes, more was the guy last year. And yes, we did lose a lot of those people in the production line, but probably two of the biggest names and two of the biggest contributors, which I envision this upcoming season um, and probably would have been last season as well. Had it not been for injuries, this is my return from injury section is, uh, you know, we have Jordan Whittington is the guy who to me is the breakout candidate. Obviously all of the attention is focused on Bijan and him getting more touches in the running game. And we talked about that, but probably the number two guy on, on this team, or at least on this offense for a chance to just break out a guy who, if you don't follow recruiting in high school football, which again, what are you doing? Um, the casual fan may not know. You may not know the name Jordan Whittington other than you've heard people say, oh, there's this guy, Jordan Whittington. He's going to be good. He hasn't been able to materialize that potential yet because he hasn't, um, stayed as healthy but a a guy who just has all the talent in the world and feels like he has the speed the strength the multi-positionness to just be an absolute weapon in a Sarkeesian offense who who takes some of the best things of the first round receivers that Sark has put through there um and can emulate I mean he's he's small enough that he feels or he's he's shifty and agile enough that he feels like he's kind of a a little receiver but he's 6'1 he's he's has at least 180 pounds of muscle. I don't know what his his bones weigh um, to put his total weight at, but he is just a a, a ripped mountain of a man at six one. He's actually quite big. Um, I think the injuries have probably also led to that perception. But just a player who I think is the, even though Moore is the returning number one guy, I think is the number one guy at the end of the season if everything goes well, if he's healthy, if he 
you know, it's Sark said in the beginning of the year, he's the quickest to pick up the offense. Uh, he put him on his, his leadership committee. Um, seems like he is doing all the right things, saying all the right things, working hard. And we know the talent is there. It's just a matter of, of being healthy enough for it to materialize. Yeah. I mean, Jordan Whittington is probably the most versatile player on the team, right? When you look back to like what he was able to do at Cuero, he was, I think, both the offensive and defensive MVP in that state championship game just because he's such a crazy versatile athlete. And I, I hope uh, that this new method of training is going to help his body uh, live up to the, the beating because it's just it sucks seeing a guy who's that talented. And Tom Herman talked about it. You know, we, we can say a lot of bad things about Tom Herman, but Tom Herman said that like Jordan Winnington's not going to be a guy who's here for four years, so we're going to play him early. And then he got hurt, so he might actually be here for four years uh, as he gets some <laughs> tape underneath it. But the other guy that we have to talk about is Troy O'Meary, and he is, I've said it and I put it out there in the world, I honestly think Texas is Troy O'Meary being injured away from ha still having Tom Herman as their head coach. Um, mm. He was hands down coming into the season the best receiver on the team, or at least the most consistent receiver on the team. And there was, uh, there were a lot of spots where Sam Ellinger missed having Colin Johnson, right, or missed having Devin DuVernay. And that's what, that's what Troy O'Meary would have been for Sam Ellinger. And so I I'm curious to see he doesn't necessarily fit the typical mold of the speedy um, kind of the – the Ferrari that Steve Sarkeesian <laughs> likes at wide receiver. Troy O'Meary feels more like like a um, like a Ford Lightning almost. He's like a, he's like a big body with a, with a race car engine in it a little bit. Not quite as fast <laughs> as your sleek race car. The guy. I'm not saying he's slow, but that's just not the way he plays. He is he is a go up for the ball, win jump balls, climb the ladder, fade in the corner type of receiver, which is great to have. And he's, he's got really good hands. Um, and so he's, he's shown some, again, flashes as he came back. He looked good. He was still non-contact in the spring game. So we've got a lot left to be considered, a lot left to be proven. I think it's going to, I think they're going to be names. People are going to have to learn some names this year. Uh, but you think about a guy like Kelvante Dixon, who's super fast. Mm -hmm. He flashed in the Alamo bowl. Um, I think Marcus Washington, who, who he might show up, he might not, but I think, Honestly, I think some of the new guys are going to be the ones that, that people end up. You know, Xavier Worthy has been a guy who's been mentioned numerous times coming in. He was a top uh, top 100 kid, I think number 61 overall coming out of high school. He flirted with Sark at Alabama. He flirted with Texas a little bit towards National Signing Day, uh, but ended up going to Bama, had a letter of intent, or signed his LOI with Michigan, uh, was, was unable to early enroll. That frustrated him, and so he got released and ended up at Texas. Our loss is their gain. He might come in and just be the fastest guy on the team. Like, ran a 10-5 yeah. as a 16-year-old. I've seen unconfirmed reports of, like, a 10-300. Like, fastest guy on the team, kind of a, you know, Jalen Waddle type of guy. One of these guys is just going to run faster than everybody on the other side. And then Texas also brought in Jaden Alexis, who's a 10-5 guy. And so you pair him, you pair Whittington, you put Dixon in there. Um, so, like, those four could be a really potent grouping for Sark in this offense. Now, you may see like a guy like Keelan Robinson come in at running back and then split out because that's kind of his skill set as well. But like the grouping, I'm the the group I'm really or the players I'm really looking to see is like this this really speedy core of guys where you see Dixon, you see Worthy, you see Alexis, you see Whittington on the field, and like just let them be fast. They're they're too fast for a linebacker, and the, some of these guys are too big. Like you put a cornerback on Whittington, and I I'm going to take Whittington in, in eight out of ten of those matchups. And so I think Sark has a lot of horses in the stable. There's just not a lot of reps in the trenches for those guys. And, and look, Sark talked a lot about when he got here. He didn't give a lot of uh, opening of the kimono, but one of the things he said very publicly very early on was we have too many guys in the wide receiver room. The way he builds his roster, he doesn't just want a whole bunch of guys. He wants six, seven, eight guys and they all should be ready to go at the drop of a hat ready to play not that he doesn't you know value the development but I, I think when you talk about those those incoming additions he's gonna put if he's the fastest player if he's making catches which I heard um Coburn and some others talk about uh Xavier Worthy and just his like second third and fifth gear whatever it is to go get balls that human beings shouldn't be able to get to but he just has that extra closing speed that's unreal he he might you're right see the field just right away there are some guys again who've been in the program a little longer i don't know that that has as much cachet to a new coach but uh alvante woodard a guy who hasn't got the chances but was a really really good uh high school receiver and a big recruit who we 
you know, stole from A and M basically. Um, but you know, basically his big catch would have been he would have had the game uh, would have been now in hindsight winning catch against TCU is the end of the third quarter, but still, um, and then a questionable ineligible receiver downfield wiped that. But you know, it didn't really get a lot of balls thrown his way. Last year showed up in the one chance. Montreal Estella guy, you may remember. From the safety side, he was actually listed on two four seven as a receiver. He was really a two way player in high school, but he brings four four speed. You know, he is a fast guy who you know put up fifteen hundred yards his senior year on offense, and I think something like fifteen touchdowns. So I mean, just a, a guy who you don't think of, but he's done it. It could be almost any any one of them. Again, I I I am curious at the talent that Marcus Washington has. I think a lot of people are going to project him because he's been the next guy in the depth chart for a couple years. He's had a couple drops and he's had a couple, but when he makes plays, you can see the talent is obviously and clearly there. So if 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 uh, Coleman and Sark can can work on that a little and, and get him the maximize of his talent, he has the talent level to be in that conversation of the four guys. I just, again, have to see it. Um, I do think you're right that Dixon, to me, is a guy who could be a little bit under the radar for people are talking, but could come in in a big way again. Um, in the same family of Keontae Ingram, a prolific high school player with unbelievable speed that we saw on a display in a Texas uniform. Um, and, I, you know, I'm just uh, – I just don't know who it'll be, but I think you're absolutely right when you said that we will learn some names or the, the average fan will learn some names because <laughs> besides maybe Joshua Moore and Jordan Whittington at, at best – these are not household names right now, but there is a lot of talent. There, there is a lot of talent, and again, I think um, I'm I'm curious to see this coaching staff and and um, Sarkin in this offense again get these horses in the stable. And so we do. I want to talk about the tight ends as well. Uh, Texas returns uh, its top two options. Malcolm Epps, again, went to the University of Texas, Los Angeles. But uh, Cade Brewer is coming back, dropped 15 pounds in the offseason, playing lighter than he has in the years before. Jared Wiley is also back. We are the originators of the Wiley Hive, and so we're glad to see him. Um, Gunnar Helm is a player who got some buzz in summer workouts. Lybrock has a ton of upside. Juan Davis came in as a early enrollee true freshman. And got a uh, got some snaps in the spring game with the ones and looked good doing it. Uh, so there, there's and then you, you got to mention Jatavian Sanders as well, the five star all all world player from Denton Ryan. Kyle, there there are there are bodies at the tight end spot. Brewer coming back is is um, curious to see what he's going to look like with his reshaped body and in kind of a full healthy year. So what is what's what's the outlook at tight end from your perspective? Sark said that after quarterback, the tight end might be the, the most important player in the system, which, again, you think about all those first-round wide receivers and, and the type of running backs. He's never you know not had a 1,000-yard rusher, basically, uh, in the past eight years. He's called an offense. Like To say that is is a pretty big statement, but the tight ends are they're blocking. They're split out. They are multiple. They're expected to do a lot of things. So when I hear that, I think, wow, so Cade Brewer is going to have to take a step up and become a little bit more of an offensive threat or – on the opposite side, Jerry, Jared Wiley is going to have to get more comfortable in the tight end position, continue his growth in that position, and fill out his skill set as a better blocker um, and and as you know a guy who can who can do all of it. Right? You have if you put them together, <laughs> and you had basically one Blaine Irby or whatever. If you put them together and had one mega tight end, what a guy that would be in this <laughs> offense. But I think you get. Two halves. They need to do the what is it the 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 Super Saiyan uh, Dragon Ball Z dance where they morph. I don't remember. Um, but uh, that that's as nerdy as I get, Gerald. But um, so you, those are the two guys. Those are the two names that that are known. There's a lot of unknown. We talked about it in the receiver room. So we this is our general pass catcher section. Um, and not to discredit that. The, Sark likes to throw the ball to running backs. They'll get theirs too. But these two positions will catch a majority of the balls. This could be another one where some of these other guys get in quick and and get some balls thrown their way. Again, having eleven years or whatever Kate Brewer has, or um, you know, having experience in UT doesn't necessarily mean as much with a new tight ends coach, a new offensive coordinator, head coach. Like you could see Gunnar Helm, Jatavian Sanders, even I don't know, Braden Lybrock, I guess. Um get some time right away if they are the best player, if, if they offer the most to the offense, if they're doing all of the things. Um, 
Lightbrock's interesting because he was such a coveted recruit. He had such high upside. Another one of those really talented Arizona kids who you don't exactly know what the competition is like. It obviously worked out for Bichon. Um, but, you know, just was mega talented in high school and a big, big recruit and get for Texas, but hasn't really panned out. But maybe in a Sark offense, you're able to unlock what, again, made him a, a, a big-time tight end recruit. Um, again, I think a five-star like Jatavian Sanders is going to play. He's too talented. He didn't come to Texas to sit on the bench. Whether that's going to be on the defensive side of the ball, whether that's going to be on the offensive side of the ball, whether it's going to be both, how much, how early, what the distribution of that is, we'll see. That's up to the the, the guys who are getting paid by the University of Texas to make those decisions. Um, but he is a guy who's just too crazy talented to not also have a say in this conversation so there's a lot of question mark here after the established Cade Brewer and I even put a question mark on that because again he was athletic in high school more athletic than we ever saw because injuries kind of robbed him of his of his top end speed and he just looked like a Jason Witten you know guy who's a statue out there after he catches the ball um but don't discredit having that much experience having that much time with an experienced offensive line playing with Ellinger for that long and just, you know, picking it up, being this long in college football and, and having played these opponents that we will play this year in the big 12 so many times, he's going to know some things and that is valuable. It, it is not the most valuable thing, but it is certainly valuable. So all that is to say, it's going to be Jared Wiley. <laughs> uh, again, uh, one of the things about a new coaching staff is that everybody air quotes gets a gets a fair shot, gets a new shot. So I'm curious to see what it what it turns out. I think Jared Wiley is going to benefit from being able to play the same position now for two off seasons in a row. I think we may see finally a big jump from him as far as the fundamentals and the blocking. The guy's an athletic freak. He's able to play multiple positions, um, but he's a guy I think will have a big jump. Again, I mentioned Juan Davis off top. Juan Davis was a guy who I think the numbers are going to fool a lot of people. They're going to three-star kid. Look at the offers he had, right? People, everybody in the area wanted him uh, because he's a high upside athlete, and he got a ton of he got a ton of snaps with the ones in the spring game, and he made the most of it. Had a couple, he had one highlight reel catch down the side. It looked like it looked like L.J. Humphrey out there. I, I had to double take. I was like, that guy looks like L.J. Humphrey, and then I looked at him. I was like, oh, I forgot about Juan Davis, and I think we'll have a moment or two like that in the season. We're like, oh, I forgot about Juan Davis. I like Juan Davis. Juan Davis is fun to watch. Um, because he's he's a big kid, but he's a he's an athlete. He's one of those like the athlete tag is tossed on a lot of kids that they don't know what to what to f- sort them as, right? Jatavian Sanders is like he's kind of an offensive guy, kind of a defensive guy. Don't know where he's sorted. He can play both. Juan Davis is just a guy who's a Swiss Army knife, and so I'm curious to see how that works out for him. Again, you mentioned Sanders. Sanders is Sanders is a guy that you 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 have to get him on the field regardless, right? He, he's he wants to play offense and let him play offense. I think, again, everybody says that his probably highest upside is on defense, but let the kid play where he wants to play, and, and uh, it'll come out in the wash. So we've obviously got more of these previews to come as the season approaches. This offseason is going to be wet and wild for a lot of reasons, but we'll keep up with the previews as we go along. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. So now's the part of the show where we honor all the other sports that didn't get as much shine, and we down the 40. we got to talk with the rare breaking news in this podcast recording. Future Longhorn, 17-year-old Lydia Jacoby from Anchorage, Alaska, won the gold medal in the 100-meter breaststroke tonight in Tokyo as we're recording. Uh, she edged out the South African and another American in an upset win. We're really excited, but uh, it's good to see the, uh, the the proud swimming and diving tradition of the University of Texas um, making waves literally in the Olympics. 
And also the proud swimming and, and diving tradition of the state of Alaska, the first Olympian uh, swimmer, at least from the state of Alaska, the 100-meter breaststroke. Um, just an incredible story. She, I, she had a quote that said she was more intimidated at the USA trials um, because it was kind of her first big national event with the, with that type of implication that she said she felt more comfortable swimming at the Olympics. Again, a 17-year-old girl, that is just crazy thing to, to say or feel that amount of confidence but uh yeah just just a, a crazy wild story um such a feel-good story it's awesome i can't wait for her to get the 40 acres and, and win some some national championships here as well so proud to know her so uh on the baseball front uh ivan melendez and austin todd both announced that they'd be coming back to austin with uh, to join a team that's rapidly approaching uh, unsustainable hype level. So Melendez, if you know, uh, if you don't remember, was the designated hitter this year. Will probably come back and try to get some film and some evaluation as a position player. Austin Todd uh, missed most of the 2021 season due to um, a shoulder injury, and so he's coming back to try to end his career, at least in Burnt Orange, on his own terms. Yeah, Austin Todd is just a fan favorite, a feel-good story. He could stay for 20 years if he wants, and it feels like he has. Um, keep that type of energy in a team that's going to have a lot of different arms and bats competing. The, the guy who comes back as a sixth-year senior, basically, um, to say, I want to play for Texas. I like that guy in my locker room. He's also a very, very good player and outfielder and uh you know was we're replacing antico and 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 uh you know it's interesting how we're gonna shape the outfield and we'll talk about that in our baseball preview when we get a little closer there's a lot of guys vying for some spots but austin todd is certainly right there and has the talent and uh and, and is a just a great addition to have back another player in texas is going to add to the infield rotation vanderbilt infielder jack o'dowd is is making the decision to stay in the sec now apparently and join the longhorns <laughs> Um, 62195 uh, um, can play everything but first base and catcher, basically. Um, will probably end up competing at third base with uh, Skylar Messenger. And that There's going to be a Cam Williams-sized void at the third base spot, and so I'm interested to see how that shakes out. Yeah, top 100 player in the country, a top 25 shortstop uh, coming out of high school. Um, played one year at Vandy, 10 games, hit 333 in a you know, nine at bats had four RBIs and nine at bats not bad. All, all three of his uh, his hits basically doubles. I like that. Um, he's the son of the former Rockies GM Dan O'Dowd, so the kid knows baseball. It's in his blood. Um, again, will be interesting. I like having a lot of guys who can compete. We have uh, an elite shortstop uh, already. We have a whole third base, so it makes sense he might compete there. But it could be also. A shift where you see him at, 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 at second base. Um, I, again, I, I'm curious, but it's just good having a guy who is kind of instantly uh, ready to contribute on a team this loaded. Yeah, and again, that 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 cam size hole at the five spot needs to be filled, and having two guys that are talented and can play, um, it will be interesting. So it is watch list season, and so Bijan will be on every watch list related to offense or running back. So he was on the Doak Walker watch list. Cade Brewer, the aforementioned returning tight end, is on the Mackey watch list, and then um, a guy, a friend of the show, we'll go and call him Marvin Overshone, was named the to the Butkus Award watch list after an MVP performance in the Alamo Bowl. Yeah, he's a guy who is is really interesting because his upside is tremendous. We've known that since he was come out of ARP, Texas in high school. Um, at safety originally, moved down to linebacker kind of because A, could get snaps, and B, the team needed it. He really was learning linebacker in an interesting time position. Again, multiple defensive coordinators aside, just as, as um, – Big 12 had some really good running backs, but also obviously some devastating passing attacks. A really kind of stress position to be thrown into, and he, he responded really well, especially uh, got rolling towards the end of last year. Ended up leading the team in interceptions, pass breakups, and pressures, second in tackles, tackles for loss, and forced fumbles, and really had a game in that, that Alamo Bowl, won the defensive MVP 
in that one with six tackles, uh, tackle for loss, interception, and a fumble recovery just filling out the stat sheet. But a guy who really can. He can do it all. He can, he can blitz. Um, he can certainly cover, obviously, moving from safety. You know that. Um, and, and he's really grown into a kind of leader on the defense and on the team as, as a whole. So a guy we're really excited about for the upcoming year. He is a guy who, if he if he continues the trajectory he was on from week one to or game one to game 13 from last year and continues that trajectory, he will work his way into an NFL locker room as, as a linebacker. He's one of those guys, and, and I'm glad that Tyler Owens made the choice as well to do that or maybe was given the option, uh, one of two options uh, to make that choice. But th- those guys that are kind of the big, sa- the big safeties are perfect Big 12 linebackers, right? Just eat your way down to 220 to, you know, and and be fast and be physical and, and cover all of these crazy pass sets, cover mesh and blow it up in the middle. So uh, a little bit of sad news, a guy you and I enjoy, um, four-star cornerback Jalen Gilbo announced at like literally midnight his decommitment from the University of Texas. He was, um, he's kind of been a flight risk for a while. He was very attached to the previous staff. His commitment video, or his commitment uh, pinned tweet was all old Texas staffers. And so um, he was likely a guy who wasn't long for this world in burnt orange. Um, Nick Harris, a friend of the show, uh, flipped his crystal ball to TCU like the day he decommitted. So um, there's writing on the wall. But there there have been some reports lately, for, actually from Nick himself, um, that he may be having second thoughts uh, on his decision to decommit now that nobody knows where TCU is going to end up. It's... it's uh... <laughs> The recruiting implications we're going to talk about about that SEC switch are going to be wide, wide-reaching and far-reaching. A kid from Port Arthur Memorial, again, a, a, a pretty good pipeline in Port Arthur at UT. Don't mean doesn't mean that UT is necessarily completely out of this one, but it will be interesting to see uh, where he does end up. Just because the next week is going to be interesting for fans. You have to absolutely believe that recruits are sitting here, you know, waiting, trying to figure out, calling, texting, asking. What, what's going on because you know the, the the landscape is shifting under our feet but i don't think it's going to be a bad thing for texas we'll see how it works out again we'll, we'll have mike roach on in a couple weeks to talk about uh how the sec movie he's written a lot about it if you're not again if you're not subscribed to 247 like mike is putting out some good stuff uh now but we'll we'll have him on in a couple weeks to talk about this and we'll have him talk movies and all the other fun stuff we do and mike is on but now's the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college athletics big bertha and we bang the drum brought to you by joe ruiz so kyle what are you banging the drum on this week all right so we've talked a lot about it we're going to talk more about it trust um multiple people actually texted me um one of my wife's co-workers who listens to the show if you're listening what's up jimmy uh mentioned through her and to me that um can't wait for the show to hear about the sec and in texas and what's going on i think obviously if you listen to the show and and you appreciate gerald and i's opinions you, you knew we were going to talk about it and hopefully you wanted to hear what we had to say about it we said a lot about it we will say more but let me give a quick overview if you were at all influenced by this podcast and our opinions please for the love of whoever you choose to worship a couple things that you need to know etiquette-wise about heading into a new conference. You may have seen our dorkier cousins uh, in College Station do this 10 years ago and just do it absolutely wrong. There's a viral video back then that's tried to be scrubbed from the internet, but I believe someone uh, resurfaced it of, of A&M doing all of the chants for the other schools. You don't have to root for your conference. Just because OU and Texas put together a hundred years of hatred to to be friends uh, in this arena and step through this together. We can go right back to hating OU once we're this whole thing's done and we have to play them. And it, that's how it should be. That's what rivalries should be. We don't ever have to cheer for OU to win. We don't have to cheer for Bama or Florida or Georgia or anyone. We don't ever have to cheer for the SEC. It will be good enough on its own. You don't have to will them to be better in any given sport. Okay, so that's one. Related note, we should never, ever, unless you are just the, your friends all tell you, oh, insert listener name here, you are the master of irony. The way you flip things are so ironic and timely and top. Unless someone has specifically told you that. Your ironically timed SEC chant probably ain't it. 
use it once just just once you get it don't waste it but otherwise we shall never ever chant sec that will never happen that just won't we're never going to do it we won't cheer for them we won't chant we are texas we will chant texas and fight we will chant OU and sucks. We will chant the things that we do that have made us great for all of these years. The other thing I wanted to talk about is I'm excited for some renewal. We've talked in a football sense of this, but there's going to be some new rivalries. There's going to be some old rivalries coming back. Mike Leach, if we're going to keep it football, I am excited to have him back in the press conferences. Uh, <laughs> it will be fun playing that team. Uh, Lane Kiffin, two just absolute jokesters who we now get uh, in our conference to, to, to play against. I'm, I'm not uh, at all unexcited just, just to have only for press conferences, those two. Um, but Vic Schaefer, a man we talk about, is reuniting his, his death feud with South Carolina when he was at Mississippi State. Also, now he'll have to play Mississippi State. Um, and Kim Mulkey will be back. That's the one downside to this entire SEC thing is that Kim Mulkey will be back in our lives. But keeping it LSU, I am so excited for the UT baseball versus LSU um, rivalry. That is two of the bluest bloods in college baseball, and and that's going to be a lot of fun. Um, there's Vanderbilt is on a roll, obviously, Mississippi State. That's going to be a new rivalry. I'm looking forward to that. But I just that LSU-Texas one feels a little special to me. And then finally, guys, I, I just want to put this out there. This is the last piece. We've taken a lot of the bullets. We've covered OU. It's all been our fault. We're big meanies. We're terrible. We're awful. We need to lean into the heel roll. Let them say what they say. But if you choose to come back with facts, the thing that we should be arguing is we have all agreed to just believe the kind of national reporter language that Texas is this, uh, they just hog revenue and 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 they are these these demonic force that ran the Big 12 with an iron fist and were just so unfair. It's really, truly not true. The, the, the Going back to the Southwest Conference, I mean, Texas had a one-to-four revenue share back then with other people. I mean, 10% of Texas's revenue from TV in the Southwest Conference went to TCU and Rice because they couldn't fill their tiny little stadiums with enough people because they were small schools. They couldn't get 15,000 stands. So we gave them TV revenue back in the 70s when we didn't realize even how valuable it was. I mean, basically when that whole thing blow, blew up and the Big 12 started, there was a there was a, a share that everyone agreed to and thought was was unbelievably generous that we would basically split 57 percent of the overall revenue colorado a&m nebraska every single team signed off when we started the big 12 and said that is great that's wonderful this is really generous we all are going to do this and and, and thrive from this when when nebraska left texas said well why don't we take that down and if, if people aren't happy with that, again, not trying to be revisionist in our history, but we agreed to share up to, I think it was like 76% of all revenue at that point. The pot rose and all these schools that have had since then more success, Baylor, Oklahoma State, these schools that have come out of nowhere, it's because we gave them more money. So this idea that Texas is a tyrant, either we do one of two things. We lean in and we go full heel and we just say, yes, we are, baby, bring the hate. Or if you're going to correct people, correct them with facts. It's just simply not true. Are we rich? Sure. Have we gotten th calls that have gone our way? Sure. Every school has. I could give you a thousand calls that went against UT, uh, namely every OU pass interference that didn't get called. But we have propped up this conference, and, and, and it has been charitable. And you don't need to feel bad. It, we aren't the bad guys. We haven't done anything wrong. We are literally acting in a sense of self-interest for us and for, again, the future of college football. And that's okay. I am going to get a WWE championship belt. And I'm going to play it like a guitar. Because I am embracing the Hollywood Hulk Hogan phase of, of our lives, Kyle. Also, like, I drove by the McLean Stadium in Waco on my way to visit my parents. And, like, the ability of people who... Uh, have benefited from Texas to now paint Texas in such a terrible light because Texas is doing what's best for them. Like either you're cool with capitalism or you're not right. Either you're cool with the free market or you're not either you're cool with these things happening or you're not. And you know what? It sucks to be on the outside looking in, but if we're going to have to endure all of the, the hatred online and I'm fine with it, right? I got big shoulders. I can deal with it. That's what I tell people all the time. But like I just, just 
whatever. Enjoy the AAC or whatever you're going to end up in. But I'm banging the drum this week on my least favorite thing in the world. So there was this tweet that went out from a misguided A&M fan about how he were they were in in the midst of all the complaining that these maroon wearing people did that um you know well at least when you see uh, somebody wearing an A&M shirt they probably got it at the got it at, when they were getting their degree and and if you see a Texas fan they got it at Walmart right or like whatever and the concept of a t-shirt fan is the dumbest thing in the world because without the t-shirt fans there is literally no brand, no student population, regardless of how many diplomas you mill out, are able to support an athletic department like that of any size. And so somebody put it out there on Twitter, like Texas fans who went to Texas, how do you feel about uh, not like non-graduates cheering for the university? And you know what? There is no way that the University of Texas is the most profitable athletic department in the country that they're able to do things like add eight figures to every team in the best-selling conference in the country's pockets if it weren't for the people that went to Walmart and got a shirt because they like the University of Texas or people that weren't as fortunate and lucky. Kyle, we are privileged as hell to have had the opportunity to go to the University of Texas and not everybody is in that position. And so for me to look at somebody from a position of privilege and say, I am this elitist because I was able to go to the university and you wasn't, would, would make me the worst kind of person that there is. And so as somebody who was blessed and privileged enough to call myself a University of Texas student and now graduate, I am so glad and fortunate that there are people that were unable to experience the same things we did, but still love the university as much as we do. That's the enduring power of what the university is, the flagship university of the state of freaking Texas, right? Anybody that's willing to wear their state on their chest is good enough for me. You are a fan. You are family. Thank you for being a part of it. You've always said if you have to add any appendage to your, your name that isn't your state, if you are, you are not the number one. There are very, very, very few exceptions nationally. When you are the state university, when you are the flagship university of your state, as the University of Texas is, you pitch a big tent that welcomes all. If I'm a Texan, if I'm not a Texan, if I live in California, sure. But if I'm a Texan, who do I want to, if I'm a neutral and I don't have a dog in the fight, who am I going to be a fan of? Why not the, the University of Texas with Texas only across the chest? I mean, that's... That is, you are absolutely spot on about that, Gerald. We are, it is a righteous cell phone by an Aggie to say that, to say, because we're smaller minded, because we are little brother, because we are, you know, throw temper tantrums, because we are always yearning to be what you are, we will try to be exclusive even in our, in our, who can be a fan of us, even though, again, don't get me started on the most hardcore Aggie fans in the world who attended Blinn. Um, but, uh, you know, nonetheless, it great. Who cares where you went to school? It matters who you root for. You can have every bit of passion and and vitriol for your your rival and all the things because that's your team. And that's good enough. Anybody that's willing to wear the name of the Lone Star State on their chest is a member of the family. And that's all we've got for you this week. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet? Oh, you can follow me on Twitter at SEC Kyle. You can I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, at Kyle Carpenter. Uh, you can follow the Texas pregamer at Texas pregamer. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at GH Godrich. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. We're on Facebook and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic. And you can shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until next time, hook them. Hook them. Hundred years. Hundred years.